Uh, if you've got the uh, ESV Bible app on your phone, this is going to take a good amount of time to find Psalm 148. Um, it is now the, the, the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, we don't do a Christmas Day uh, service. We gather on the Lord's Day on Sunday, on the eighth day of the week, the day after the Jewish Sabbath, as the early church began doing places like John chapter 20, um, because Jesus entered the heavenly rest following his resurrection from the dead, so says uh, Hebrews 4. And in the words of Revelation chapter 1, there are 52 uh, Lord's Days, or Resurrection Sundays, for Christ's church to gather. And this is one of them. That's why we're here. Now, we are not commanded to observe Christmas as any kind of special day. And people have a liberty of conscience to not do that in any way, shape, or form. If you have a Christmas tree in your house, fine. If you don't, fine too. Um, but being the Sunday before Christmas, our um, country begins shutting down. It is a beneficial time to consider the marvelous truth and importance of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to do that by beginning our Summer in the Psalm series with Psalm 148, and I'm calling this, Praise the Newborn King. Praise the Newborn King. We'll see how we get there. Let's read together the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded them were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you deep, great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. The Word of God. The Hebrew word here for praise, hallow, from which we get hallelujah. Right? However you say that, however you say, say it. Praise Yah. Praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. The entire cosmos is to praise the Lord. In this text here, uh, the first uh, verses one to six, we've got Two groups in this psalm uh, that are told to praise the Lord. In verse 1 to 6, which is the first half, it says, Praise the Lord from the heavens. And then you see in verse 7, it says, Praise the Lord from the earth. So it says, From the heavens, from the earth, the Lord must be praised. Praise is the 
the declaration of the greatness of someone who is deserving of honor. Good praise is to someone who is deserving of honor. It's not just singing. It's just the, the, the giving of honor and, and, uh, and applause to the one who deserves it. And so this psalm calls on both animate and inanimate objects to praise God. Right? We're thinking the moon. How did the moon praise? Well, it's told to. It's there for that purpose. This psalm is following the something of the, the pattern of Genesis 1 and the days of creation. It says the heavens, the angels, the sun, the moon, the stars. It goes beyond that. It says the, the highest heaven. Some of your translations might say the heaven of heavens. Literally everything in the entire cosmos owns, owes to the Lord praise. We find in cultures throughout history a, a desire to, to worship angels uh, and uh, bodies like the sun and the, the stars. Uh, people tie their, their fates to these created beings, all sorts of different worldviews. And uh, if we think we have evolved progressively much past that, I would point out the fact that we still have horoscopes in our newspapers. Right? We do. Why must the Lord be praised from the heavens? We're told in verse 5. For he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. The reason given here that all these bodies must praise the Lord is because he spoke them into existence by the word of his power. He is the creator. The God has declared his will and created. It is his decree, his divine decree. This is my will, and it says it will not end. There is one sovereign creator of everything. Creation out of nothing bears praise to the goodness and power of its maker. something worth thinking about is that we find in the creation, okay, everything you can see, smell, taste, and touch, everything that once did not exist, we find in the creation nothing worthy of ultimate praise because the creator is greater than his creation. We can go outside and I'm sure you can think of things we find ourselves looking out, perhaps at the ocean, or we looking at um, at at a mountain top, or we look at snow, or we we look at uh, we we look at just children, perhaps whatever it is, and we can be overwhelmed by the the, the beauty and the, the the glory and the immensity of what we see and touch and smell. But we must ask ourselves, how much more worthy is the one who created such things? One commentator says, he says, creation was not made to be worshipped. Creation was made to give praise to God. And then the, the psalmist shifts in verse 7 and says, praise, give praise from the earth. 
an all-encompassing praise that everyone, everywhere, everything owes to God, its creator, praise. Again, it follows Genesis 1. It says, the sea and its creatures, the sky and its birds, the land and the land animals, and the mountains and the trees, and even the weather. Just everything. Sky, sea, land. Everything is provided to provide a symphony of praise to its creator. Don't forget that as we look outside. Don't forget that as we consider our existence. And then it says, lastly, in verse 11, it says, People, from the most famous of, king, of kings and queens, to everyone, men, women, children, young, old, and the Israel of God has, has, called, out, has called out people, he says, let them praise everyone. Alleluia. And Why? There's a couple of reasons given. In verse 13, it says, For his name alone is exalted, and his majesty is above earth and heaven. That God is the one exalted name, the Creator God. He is the transcendent one by whom all things exist. Without this God, you cannot breathe. For a millisecond. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He is holy, meaning that if you think of the most beautiful, brilliant sight we can possibly see in this world, because God is, is holy, he's unlike his creation, you can't point at the most beautiful sight on the face of this planet and say, oh, God's just a little bit better than that. He's infinite and different and far more majestic. But not even in degree, but in completely different type. This praise is the will of God who himself is the highest good in all the universe who cannot point to himself. He cannot point to another God. He cannot point to anyone else and say, Praise that. Because he would not be good, he would be unjust if he did that. He would be calling for the celebration of that which is not the highest good. There is absolutely no arrogance in God saying, praise me. Do you know that if you walked up to people and said, hey, praise me, praise me, I'm very smart. I'm very good, very strong, whatever it is, very rich. And you say, praise me, you'd be arrogant. You'd be arrogant. There's no arrogance in God saying, praise me. None at all. This command finds to, to praise finds something of a place in the Lord's Prayer, right? Where Jesus says, eh, Our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This God's will is that he be praised everywhere. This command comes out of the, the, the first commandment that you have no other gods but me and should not worship idols. 
We see in the Ten Commandments, this command to praise comes from there and is expression of the moral will, will of God. And you know what we find ourselves doing to this command to praise the one person in all the universe that is deserving, we say, no. No. That's our natural response. We say, no. Ligon Duncan put it this way, he said, the world is not now divided between those who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships. The world is divided between those who worship the Creator and those who worship something else, the creature. When we sin in our sin, we participate in idolatry. All sin has a level of idolatry attached to it and that we set up a new standard of and give praise to that which is undeserving, including ourselves. Calvin says that our hearts are idol factories. We find within ourselves a, a constant pull to find joy and happiness in things that are not able to provide that joy and happiness. The reason they cannot is because they are created, not the creator. You know, this, this call here is that everything praises God. All the world must praise. And Paul says in Romans 8, Instead of praising, he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The groaning of the creation is the opposite of the praising of the creation. There is language of, of, of slavery and, and bondage used in Scripture to describe our experience and the experience of all creation due to sin and the curse of sin against the Creator. One of the reasons why I'm a Christian is because in the Bible it is brutally honest and real to the nature of our condition. It very clearly explains what's gone wrong. Romans 1, we're told that we have substituted the worship of the creature instead of the creator who's blessed forever. That's what we do. We expect of the creation that which it cannot deliver. We give to the creation that which it does not deserve. We find ourselves in deep trouble in a very deep hole with only a shovel. And we keep going deeper. We keep going deeper. Under God's law, we have no hope of redemption from our slavery as we look towards each other and look towards ourselves. We cannot raise ourselves up to God because we shall never meet Him there. So we need help to come down. And so the, we begin focusing on the incarnation. John 3.13 says this, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
We find in Psalm 148, in that last verse, look at verse 410, a final reason for praise. A reason that was not there in Genesis 1 in the beginning. It says this, He has raised up a horn for His people, praise for all His saints. For the people of Israel who are near to Him, praise the Lord. If you don't know what that word means, that word horn, it's going to be something that you go, oh yeah, interesting, and then you're going to skip over it. Very easy to skip over. A horn is a symbol of strength. You can go find this throughout the Old Testament. The strength of God raised up to save His people. He's raised up a horn for His people. And as you follow the words of Scripture, specifically in books like 2 Samuel and Psalm uh, 89, for example, this symbol is that God's strength is equated with the Davidic king of Israel. And this comes to a climax in the birth of Christ. Hear the words of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Zechariah says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people, and He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant, David. Psalm 148, just one of a myriad of Old Testament scriptures pointing forward, and Zechariah says, the fulfillment is here. The fulfillment is here at the birth of Christ. That child born in Bethlehem is God's solution to our misplaced praise. The incarnation of the Son of God. We talk at this church a lot about the the cross. We talk a lot about the resurrection. I talk a lot about the ascension. Think about the incarnation. Consider the majesty of this truth. Paul says in Colossians 1.15, he says this, Speaking of Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's praise. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the creator. By the word of God, creation was spoken into existence. And then John tells us the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's worth thinking on. That's worthy of praise. That baby born in Bethlehem, which by the way means house of bread, is the revealing to the creation of its maker. The bread of life has come. The early church father, Athanasius of Alexandra, wrote a a wonderful defense of the incarnation uh, of the Son of God. I read about half of it yesterday. It was so good. And in it he says this, None could renew the creation but he who had created. I'll say that again. None could renew but he who had created. 
That's why it's so important that Jesus is the one who created all things. He is the Word of God. Jesus did not merely appear, but he, he took on a spotless, sinless body born of the Virgin Mary that he might renew for himself a people and bring forward a new creation. In sin, we find ourselves re rejecting God. We find ourselves rejecting His law. We find ourselves rejecting His, His goodness. We find ourselves not knowing our Creator. We find ourselves, like Adam and Eve, hiding from God. But in the incarnation, we see a God who determines that He will be known and have relationship with his people, and he will lead them in the lives that he has prepared them for, created them for in righteousness. What's so amazing about it? Now, remember these words of Psalm 148. It's, it's, it's very easy to read the narrative of Jesus' birth in Luke 1 and 2 and 3 and places like that, and just be like, I've been hearing this since I was a kid. I'm getting bored of it. But just don't be like that. Keep reading. Keep looking. Keep searching for the wonder behind it. And in the text, in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, listen to this. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels are praising. And then a few verses later in verse 20, the shepherds who watch their flock, ordinary people, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They're praising. They're praising. Like good news has come. And that horn of salvation, the, the, the strength of God, the strength of God who comes to bring salvation, how is he revealed? It's a baby. Fascinating picture. A baby, a human, a, a, a child of, of Abraham. There's a three-month-old baby right in front of me over there. He does not look very strong to me. strength of God. The strength of God is revealed in what He did. You see the pinnacle of creation. Don't let anyone tell you differently. The pinnacle of creation. A man and woman created in the image of God. The moon, the animals, the stars, the sun are not created in the image of God. Even whales and dolphins, not created in the image of God. But by sin, this image is defaced, unable to love and to praise and live as we ought. And we find ourselves unable to restore that image. Been doing a lot of DIY lately around my around my house, and I was just remembering uh, a particularly difficult time I tried in in restoring 
a wall across the road in our old church building in the foyer. And someone had put some stuff down and they put some tape over it and they painted over that and everything. And we started sanding it away. And it just, every time I did something, something would bubble. And the more I put filler on it and, and paint and, and sanding and everything, I realized I'm never going to ever make this look good again. It needs to be completely replaced. This image is destroyed. But what does God do? What does God do in the defacing of the image of God in us as we do what we are not called to do? He stands Jesus. Jesus Christ is the true image of God, the true man, the true human. That child in a manger grows up to be a man who perfectly praises his father, perfectly obeys God's law. That child grew up to be a man who was hung upon a cross, bearing the curse of sin upon the tree. That man came, that son of man came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Sin, death, rebellion are an alien intrusion into the creation. They bring pain and misery for all, and they go against the purpose it was created for, which is to bring praise to its maker. The birth of Jesus in a humble place is the demonstration of God's power to bring about a new creation and put our misery to death. The greatest demonstration we see of the strength of God is not in Mount Everest or anything like that, but it is sending a helpless child in the manger who is the king of all, who is the demonstration of the strength of God given in weakness. Because even the foolishness of God's ways are wiser than men. Athanasius put it this way, men are inclined to worship nature, man, demons, or the dead. Jesus showed himself Lord of all of these. And as we we turn from our sins and we trust in that good Savior King, we trust in him, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his full work, We believe we are set free, given the Holy Spirit, to live as our Creator has willed with the promise of a new creation to come where there will be no more death and sin and all these things that have come in. As we trust in Christ, we find again the gratitude of praise coming through. And it might flow from our hearts and minds and mouths again as we were created to do. Jesus is making all things new again. I want to close by reading Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father, 
that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the good news. And this is what Jesus came to do. Let's pray.